Open your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 10 is the word place. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll read verses 21 to 25. And then I will depart a little from this passage and then come back, tie it together, and hopefully all would make sense at the end. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21 and under. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it inhabit as some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day, the day drawing near. As you see that day approaching. I hope that we all were shocked, I know I was, and also grieved by the terrible news of the proclamation in New York State about the broader application of late-term abortion, even to the point of birth, where the baby, fully formed and ready to be delivered, can be ripped apart in pieces from the birth canal into a waste basket. When this law was passed a couple weeks ago, there were uproar in the chamber of that Capitol building compared to what happened a week ago when the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Some are rejoicing, some are joy, because this law was finally passed. Without losing the book of Hebrews, I want us to look for a moment how Jesus ministered to the lost. In Luke chapter 19, verse 9, in one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 19, verse 9, in the event when Jesus met Zacchaeus, who was one that was outcast from society because of his business dealing and his allegiance being a Jew to the Romans. Jesus told Sarkis in, in Luke chapter 19 verse 9, we read, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the laws. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the laws. From the beginning, when men fall out of the grace of God in the Garden of Eden, it has been God's particular purpose to reach out to men. When Adam sinned, was God the one who went seeking after him? 
Was God the one that went looking after him? In fact, he asked this question, Adam, where are you? Where are you? When we look into the gospel, we find in different, in different cases how Jesus initiated the conversation of salvation with different individuals. Nine cases we find that he initiated, like in the case of the Samaritan woman. When Jesus purposely sent his disciples away to stay at that well, waiting for that woman to arrive, to initiate a conversation with her that is what, that were going to change her life forever. Like in the case also of the beggar in John 5, where Jesus walked up to him and asked him, what will you want me to do? He came seeking after them. He came initiating the conversation. In 25 different cases, Jesus turned a conversation, a question that was asked of him, into an opportunity to reach into the soul of men. The rich young ruler came to him and asked him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The man that was filled with demons there at the coast of, Gat of Gadarene. When Jesus went to the coast, run up to him and call him Jesus, the son of the almighty. And we remember how Jesus ministered to him. Nicodemus, this teacher of the Jews, this Pharisee that came to Jesus by night. Asking him a question, Jesus turned to him and said, before we answer his question, verily and say unto you, unless you be, you must be born again for you to see the kingdom of heaven. That woman with the blood issue, where Jesus was surrounded with a great multitude, a great mul multitude, this woman has spent all our whole wealth trying to cure herself going after doctor after doctor and she said in that day he I will wholly touch the hem of his garment I'll be healed and there in the middle of a multitude she stood down and touched and touched him she was healed but Jesus did not only heal her healing body Jesus gave her much more than that in different places, Jesus, whether he met someone at the workplace or in homes or even in public, like the case of the adulterous woman, the woman that was caught in adultery. Remember that? A group of men brought this woman to Jesus. In John chapter 8, a group of men brought this, this woman to Jesus and told Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. If you read closely, you will see they brought the woman, they didn't brought the man. That's human justice for you. They didn't brought the man. The next thing there is that it says she was caught in the very act. Where, where were you that you knew that? But not at the point tonight. Where Jesus looked to the woman. And not only at that moment ministered to that woman, but actually he ministered to all that were around him. And the man being convicted of their sin, being convicted of their guilt, that they were, that they were no better than her, they walked away throwing their stones that were ready to kill her to the ground. 
They left, but she stayed. And Jesus ministered to her. You see, these men were, con were convinced they were con that they were guilty, but they were not converted. They walk away from the solution. They walk away from Jesus. Jesus connected with their feelings and thoughts. He saw them with compassion and patience, often allowing time to be given and not even pressuring. Let me ask you this question. Most of us did not come to the knowledge of Jesus the very first time they gave us the gospel, right? Most, for, to most of us, it took time. The most of us, it took years perhaps that we heard the gospel, that we were witness to, that someone opened the Bible, that we learned that someone prayed for us, that, there was, that they invited us over and over to church to listen to the gospel. But praise God for that one day where through the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our hearts and make us literally see the light. See the light. Aren't you happy that Jesus was patient and allowed that time? Anything could have happened between when we heard it the first time and when we finally believed. But he was so gracious and compassionate and loving and patient with us. Praise God for that. That speak of his love. His love for the lost. Not wanting anyone to perish. That's the Lord we serve. That's his driving force. That he loved the lost. He, Jesus loved sinners. And that love is same the driving force for him today. He loves sinners. So by that truth. Then I can say the following. Even though. That barbaric procedure. Was introduced into law. And many lawmakers rejoice in approving such a satanic influence act. And that many doctors that, were, that, will, that will use their talent and knowledge given by God to destroy the very lives they swear to save by stop being doctors and becoming butchers. And that many women draw by fear, doubt, blindness, deceit, Pride, hopelessness, and despair in many cases will give up their body for such an evil act. Even though all that is true, the grace and love of God is still sufficient to forgive. The love and grace of God is still sufficient to forgive. If anyone repent, he will fully forgive. And the Bible says he will remember their sins no more. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Jesus that we see in Scripture. No, believer, Christian, church, as believers and as a church, we have a duty to each other under the cause of righteousness. Going back to Hebrews chapter 10, you see, we read from verse 21 to the 25th verse. But to order to understand those verses there, we really have to go back a little bit in the chapter to understand why those verses are so important. To understand our standing before God. To understand why he says this. 
So let's go back for a moment and let's read beginning in verse 1, if you would please. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. And let us glance over what the Lord is saying to us tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Pause there for a second. The writer of the book of Hebrews has a Jew audience in mind. The Jew audience, you were Jew, you, you grew up in this culture. You grew up in the culture of sacrifices. You grew up in the culture of going to the temple and see the priests performing their, their sacrifices. You grew up in that culture that draw, that is the old covenant from the old Testament, where all these rituals, where all these sacrifices were performed. And what the, the, the writer is saying here is that all that old tradition, that old sacrifices, could never take away sins. All those sacrifices will never, could never make perfect to those who draw near. What they were was a shadow. A shadow, an illustration, a, a better thing to come. That's the reason they needed to be performed every single year, all the time. If they would have taken away sins, they wouldn't have to be performed all the time. But in fact, the reason why they were performed is because it was a reminder of our sins. It was a reminder of their sins. Then he continues saying in verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and, off and offerings you have not desired, but a body of you prepare for me. In born offerings and sins offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desire nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and born offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ. How many times? Once. For all. Once for all. When Jesus appeared, the Bible stated, all these sacrifices of the old covenant were done away with. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is given of his blood, is given of his body, was done once for all. That Solely 
solely sacrifices. As he stays there, Jesus came and said, I come to do your will, O God. I come to you, your will, O God. Over and over in the gospel, we see Jesus saying to his disciples, I'm here to do his will. In night before he went to the cross, he prayed to the Father, thy will be done, not mine. We see in Isaiah chapter 53 where God says to the prophet, where the prophet said, inspired by God, that it pleased him God to place on him the iniquity of us all. And it, 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 it was, it was the will of God for Jesus to go to the cross. It was his will. And Jesus submitted himself to that will. Why? Because verse 10 said, through that sacrifice, he sanctified forever those who are drawn near. Then it gets better. You say, it can't get any better than that. Oh, yes, it gets better. Look at verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by one single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know what that means? Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, by when I come in faith and trust in him, I have made sanctified acceptable to God through Jesus by that one sacrifice. That mean, that mean that today I have access to a holy God, not because I myself were perfect, but because the one who I trusted and is in me is perfect. You see, so many people today try on their own to be able to perform sacrifices to win access of favor with God. So many folks today, very sincerely, this is not a judgment because I believe most people are sincere in trying to do good works, in trying to fill churches, in trying to comply with tradition, in trying to help the poor, in trying to do good things. None of these are bad. But none of these are sufficient or could ever, ever provide the access or the favor with God that they hope for only by trusting in Jesus. Because that's the way that God provides and that's the only way he will accept. Look at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit, I love this verse. And the Holy Spirit also bear witness to us. Hold on. The Holy Spirit also bear witness. You know, this is connected with, with, with Romans chapter 8. Where Romans chapter 8 says that his spirit, the spirit bear witness of, to our spirit that we are a child of God. In the book of Ephesians, he said that he has given us the seal of the Holy Spirit, 
We are set apart by the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the day. The Holy Spirit draw us to Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we, we can um, wrongly believe that I am seeking after God. I am looking for God. I'm searching for God. I've seen programs that say searching for Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus is not lost. Jesus is not lost. God is not lost. He has revealed himself clearly and plainly. He is not a God of confusion. It's fact. He has made it so clear, so simple, and so free. So free if you only trust him. If you only trust him. The Holy Spirit bear witness to us. I continue saying there in verse 15, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I love that and praise God for that. You know what that means? The, the reason I understand, I heard some of you saying amen. You know why you say amen? Because the Holy Spirit is making a work in your life. You understand this to be true. That's the reason you understand the word of God. That's the reason you understand that you receive those truths. And you say amen because you believe it. That is not of you. It's the Holy Spirit work in your life. And I love that part. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and it got heated up? And, you know, things are not going quite well. And this person start bringing up the past. Remember when you did this so, so, and so? Remember in 1952 when you so, so, so? Remember how you did remember? Oh, we don't like that, right? We don't like when our past is thrown in our face. Because most of it is true. <laughs> and our reaction is to do what? Well, you tell me, I'm going to tell you. You know what God says? Because of the work of Jesus, that because no, he finds us perfect in, in him, he said, I will remember your sins no more, which in fact means this, God will never use my sinful nature against me ever, ever, ever again. He will never use it against me. Praise God for that. But it gets better. Look at the next verse. Verse 18. And after a few minutes, I have not even reached to the message. Could you believe that? <laughs> yes, I know you believe that. <laughs> Look at verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sins. Therefore, in other words, because of all the... All what was said, that word therefore is important because of what all that was said before. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter in the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us to the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Pause there for a second. You know, there are places that you and I do not have access to and will never have. 
I mean, I have been, I have been to the White House. Like in maybe two or three times, I have been to, to the White House. Yes, to the White House where, where, where the president is. I have been there. Outside by the gate. <laughs> I take pictures. <laughs> Put them up on Facebook. I'm at the White House. Do you think that I could walk up to the gate? Um, excuse me. I'm going to have coffee with the president today. Let, let him know that um, Ray Edwards is asking for him. Do you think Derry will let me in? No. The guy will look at me and say, call the cops. We have a crazy one here. No. I will need credentials. I will need a background check. I will need to have a picture taken. I have to be a friend of somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that maybe knows somebody that will let me in. I will have to go through all this to be able to walk in. I will never be just, I could never just walk in. But isn't it great? That because of the work of Jesus, the kings of this world might not allow me in, but the king of the universe, any time I want, I could just walk into his presence and commune with him. Praise God. And since we have such a standing, and since we have such a privilege, then this follow. Verse 22, the 22nd verse. The 22nd verse. Since we have such a standing, since we have such a privilege, let us draw near with our true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all, from our evil conscience, and our body washed with pure water. He's speaking there, let us draw near it in holiness. You see, the washing, the sprinkling, these were acts that were performed by Jews, by the priest, before he had to go do a sacrifice and present himself before God. He had to make sure he's pure, he's holy, he carried no sins. And what, what, what is the writer saying now? That since we have such a standing, since we have such a privilege, let us also walk, draw near to God, but in holiness. In holiness. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us encourage, let us be steadfast and persevere. Steadfast and persevere. No, no wavering. Know what we believe. Trust in it. Folks, there are times and things in life that will cause one to despair and that will cause one to lose hope. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. There is nothing that you have gone through or going through right now that Jesus doesn't understand and he's not going to provide a way out. Be encouraged. Be steadfast. Persevere. Look at verse 24. Let us, and let us consider how to stir up, that's a good word right there, stir up one another to love and to good works. Folks, we ought to be a service to each other, to stir up love among each other. 
and also adorn the gospel with good works. I know, I know, I know, I understand. We live in the era of privacy. We live in an era of give me my space. We live in the era that, you know, I, have my, I, I mind my own business. You mind your own. But let me tell you, my business is your business. Your business is my business. If you see me wa wavering, if you see me missing, if you see me falling apart, I hope, I hope there's someone that will come along and help me up until I'm better. Let us stir up each other. And this is something deliberate and intentional. You know, much could be said about those three verses, but I want, to, and I want to pull out something that is very important. And I know you might call it. All three verses are, are taught in the plural. Let us. Let us. Let us, church, this is something that ought to be accomplished. And you're going to see it by verse 25. That is not far-fetched. These are attitudes and actions that ought to be accomplished by us, the church. Between the church, among believers, among us, us. That idea that one can have a personal worship, uh, 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 a personal relationship with God apart from everybody else, kind of like stay home and have church on my own, is not biblical. It's totally against what God says. Totally against. You see, God, Jesus wants us to be involved. Jesus wants us to love his church. Jesus wants us to be connected to his church. Jesus wants us to be, to be ingrained one with another. See, because he loved the church. He loved the church. How much do you love the church? We live in a society today and a world system that are created all sort of distraction to pull, to draw people away from the church of the living God, to draw people away from the communion of the believers, to draw people away from serving each other in the body of the church. He gave us seven days a week, many hours, 52 weeks in a year, 365 days, and guess what? It is on Sunday that I had to do my laundry. Not only on Sunday, I got to do it on Sunday between 9 and 12. What can I do? And we create all these things that draws away. Listen, Jesus loved the church. You know how much? He died for it. He died for it. What will you die for? Something or someone you love really a lot. Jesus died for the church. But then come verse 25. And then he says, after saying, let us, let us, and verse 25, not neglecting. 
the King James Version said, not forsaken, to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, as you see the day approaching, not neglecting folks. This assembly what right here, it's a privilege. This assembly right here is a great standing before God. This assembly right here, it ought not to be taken lightly. This assembly right here is what Jesus came for. There are lives here that have testimony of what Jesus has done and continue to do right now in your life. All what he said before, all what he said before culminate in acknowledging that this assembly is a representation of the new covenant that Jesus has brought forth into the world. And it should not be neglected. In fact, it says provoke one another. Stir up for good works. Listen, there's an opportunity for service over here. Come on. There's an opportunity for gathering over here. Come on. There's going to be prayer over here. Come on. There's going to be a small group in this house. Come on. There's going to be a Bible study over here. Come on. The youth is going to meet doing this over here. Come on. Parents, don't ask them if they want to. Send them. Send them. The same way we send them to school. The same way we send them to sport. We, the way we send them to other things. There are no better, greater investment than to be part, active into the church, into the work of the Lord. Send them. Folks, stir up one another. Let me show you this slide. And I end with this. When they were passing this law, what I talked before, they had at the podium, how they were speak, this slogan, reproductive justice, no time to wait. You see, that's how the world thinks. That's how the world thinks. Satan and evil don't wait. They are, they are conniving and planning and and. and and purposely and deliberately planning against you, against the church of God, because they hate Jesus. And they don't stop. And it doesn't wait. This law was introduced in 2007. And it kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. Lo and behold, 12 years later, it's law. No time to wait. Church, believer, as we see that day draw near, and the day he's talking about is the day of the Jesus return, this, would, this is what should be our driving first. The day approaching, no time to waste. No time to waste. God help us. We have, we, we have a great standing and a great privilege. There is no time to waste. Father God, we thank you so much for your mercies and your work and your love. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the witness of the Holy Spirit. 
And we thank you so much for your work of salvation. And perhaps there is someone here that you are seeking after. You are looking after. You have been drawing them closer to you. God, we pray that tonight it will not just be a little bit closer, but they will be fully in. Thank you for your work of salvation. We praise you forever. In your name we pray. Amen.